0: And what better thing for contemplation is a connection with the natural world?
1: Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing So, Andrew, we've had lots of conversations on this podcast over the years now. And a lot of times we spend time reminiscing about our childhood.
0: Mm. Yes.
1: And I know that you and I are pretty close to the same age. And although I moved from Minnesota to California when I was in high school, you went to high school in not too far from where I went to high school. And we experienced a lot of the same outdoor activities growing up. And I was just thinking about how different today's world is with our kids, our kids, and now by extension, our grandkids. They don't seem to have as many opportunities to get outside. And I know you've done a conference talk that addresses some of these things. So if you don't mind, even though we're heading into some colder winter months ahead, I would love just to look forward to spring and maybe an opportunity to go outdoors and why that's important.
0: Well, not everybody lives in a cold place either.
1: Oh, this is true. (laughs)
0: But yes, I, um, I started this conference talk around the time I turned 50. I became very philosophical and I started to think about all the things I was grateful for. I started to think about my, I started to have grandchildren, so you start to think about the world your grandchildren will grow up in. And I, I realized that I was very privileged to have a tremendous amount of time outdoors mm-hmm. and in nature. And indeed, it is definitely harder for kids today to find that same kind of opportunity And uh, I happened to pick up a book called Nature Deficit Disorder by Richard Louvre. And because I couldn't think of any possible way to express that idea in better terms, I simply stole the title of his book (laughs) and created a conference talk. Mm -hmm. And I did it, the first time I did it was at a conference, a classical education conference, where the theme actually was Nature, mm-hmm. So I was trying to fit with the theme of the whole thing, but it was well-received, and so I kind of kept refining it and doing it again, and, and now I would say it's a little off my normal subject of arts of language and teaching writing and memorizing poetry and all that stuff I talk about most of the time, but when I touch on these themes – you definitely see it strikes a chord and most parents say, yes, I need to do more mm-hmm. um, in this area because we're all suffering from what Louv calls nature deficit disorder. He defines this as the human cost of alienation from nature and points out that you know we, we have decreased use of our senses. This can, in children, um, contribute to attention difficulties. Thus, the deficit disorder. No, illusion, really. right? So,
1: so we're not able to pay attention as well as we used to be able to because we're not outdoors that, as often.
0: That is hmm. um, one of his one of his theories. Hmm. One, one of his theses that he I think supports very well. He also alludes to the idea that some of our emotional and even mental illness types of things can be exacerbated by this alienation from nature Mm -hmm. and that it affects individuals and families and whole communities. So, you know, before I get into, you know, sharing some of his ideas combined with my own observations and experience, I would strongly recommend you know, If this is interesting to any of our listeners, go to the source, get the book. Um, he's done a lot of work since this book was published, mm-hmm. maybe 14, 15 years ago, and uh, continued to develop and collect more research and examples right. of why it is so important for all of us, but especially for children mm. in their developing years, mm. to be – connected with the natural world. And it's harder today than it was when we were kids.
1: Right. And just so you know, listener, we'll of course put a link to this book that Andrew's referring to in our show notes.
0: It's Louv, L-O-U-V, kind of an unusual spelling. As I was contemplating this, I tried to identify either the most significant environments or the most significant individual events Mm. that I would say formed me more than anything else I I can remember. And I listed five things, and I noticed that four of those all happened outdoors. Oh, interesting. And, uh, you know, as you get older, memories do tend to fade if you don't, you know, reinforce them. And uh, we did a whole section of podcast on memory.
1: Right. And you had that great... Quote from Twain. Yeah,
0: when I was young, I could remember both the things that happened and those that didn't. But now that I'm old, I can only remember those that didn't happen. Right. But you know, I think it's those things with the greatest intensity and impact mm-hmm. uh, that will stick with us uh, later. But uh, you know, I look at kind of turning points or defining moments or things that that helped. I would guess in character development more than, say, academics. Mm. But isn't that, in many ways, the most important thing? Right. You know, you can, you can go learn anything you want to learn if you have the qualities like attentiveness and perseverance and vision, determination.
1: I, I have to interrupt something, interrupt you, and just before you go on to your next point, and just talk about this character thing for just a second and tell you about a recent interview we had with a young man who's applying for a position here at IEW. And one of the questions that was asked of him is, can you please, just based on the questions that we've asked you, there were three people that were asking, peppering him with questions. Can you please tell us something about us? In other words, what have you learned from this conversation about us? And this candidate responded, you care more about my character than what I'm actually able to do. And I thought that was, first of all, pretty impressive that he picked up on that. But second of all, yeah, we do care about character here at IEW.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Louv talks about the circumstances or causation. Why are things different now than Mm. they were, say, when we were children? Sure. And I would suspect that things are very different when our parents were children. Oh,
1: right. Of course. Yeah.
0: And so he talks, uh, you know, initially about kind of the obvious problem of technology. Mm
1: -hmm, Exactly.
0: My parents wisely set very clear and strict limits to the watching of television in the home. Mm -hmm. And that was a great benefit to me because since I didn't have unfettered access to television, there was really nothing else to do. So. I spent most of my after-school time outside, right? uh, Because it was more interesting outside, Mm -hmm. unless it was pouring rain or something,
1: which didn't happen too often in Southern California. No, (laughs) not not too
0: often. And um, and I think today it's a lot harder because screens are just ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. It's not as though you have to wait for you know your living room to be free to sit with your parents and watch an hour or two at the most of television
1: that comes on at a very specific time yep. and it was not pre-recorded for you to watch at your leisure.
0: Right. And I mean we didn't even have VHS tapes, nope. right? That's <laughs> right. Um, so now we see, you know, kids are pretty much from a very young age continuously exposed and very attracted to screens. Mm-hmm. There's even a term that has been coined, uh, videophilia. Oh, interesting. Meaning essentially an addiction to screens. Yeah. And so this has brought about the idea for so many kids that it's more interesting to be inside where there's screens and plugs mm-hmm. than outside where there are no screens and plugs. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a hugely different world. So, in the course of researching his book, he went out and talked to first graders in New York City and said, Where do you like to be? And many of them said, You know, inside, because that's where the things are Mm -hmm. the the screens and the plugs and the games and and Mm -hmm. the entertainment. So, I remember just going outside to get away from being in the boring home and then what do you do you climb trees and we had a school up the street and I used to climb on the roof of the school and just sit on <laughs> sit on the roof you know and look at the sky and mm-hmm. and there were some canyons and places and I would ride my bicycle for miles and miles and mm-hmm. miles and what you know struck strikes me now in retrospect is My mother pretty much never knew where I was, even at a young age, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. She didn't care. It wasn't her job to police my goings. Mm -hmm. She was busy teaching piano and voice lessons in the home, and my job was to keep out of her hair, Mm -hmm. get my homework done, and be home in time for dinner. But other than that, the level of freedom I had Mm -hmm. was just remarkable. And um, I I don't know that you know even my wife and I have ever got to that point you know with children that age Mm-mm. of saying yeah just leave for a few hours I don't care what you do or where you go mm-hmm. so there's a
1: as evidenced by you being on top of the roof of the school I would think that yeah <laughs> that would not fly today
0: <laughs> I don't know mm-hmm. you know um, I do remember there was this big hill of ivy that mm-hmm. came down from the school. And I would just climb up the hill and roll down, and <laughs> climb up and roll, and do it dozens mm-hmm. or more times. Mm-hmm. Make me totally sick if mm-hmm. I try to do something like that now. Right, right. But there's, there's that. The the second thing he mentions is the problem of constrictions. You know, so not just the kind of. Increasing addiction to electronic amusement, Mm -hmm. but there's the fear of strangers and dangers. And uh, one thing he pointed out, which I think is fascinating, is that crimes against children have not really increased in the last 50 years. Mm. What has increased is the reporting of crimes against children, in that now everyone reads about some horrible thing that happened, you know, hundreds of miles away. And then that affects their decision, yep. and it also affects the entire public opinion, and you you read stories of a mother who you know sent a 10 year old and a six year old to walk down the street two blocks and play in the park unsupervised, now being you know condemned or investigated for right. neglect mm-hmm. when certainly, you know when I was a child, yeah, my sister and I at that age, would have happily walked many, many blocks. Mm -hmm. Uh, We didn't have a park, but we had this school, and it had play equipment and all that. And I I didn't even say where we were going. Mm -hmm. You know, we would just go and Mm -hmm. play. And I imagine that, you know, my parents, you know, wherever they were living in the city or not, they had that same kind of freedom that is just less common. And, And it's not just the parents... Fear for what could possibly happen to unsupervised children so much as parents' fear of the opprobrium or the possible accusations that would occur right. if they gave their children that level of freedom.
1: Right. Have you heard the term helicopter parents?
0: yeah just hovering mm-hmm. uh, above and you know i think part of that is this idea of mm-hmm. you know the fear of strangers and dangers mm-hmm. but also it's that fear of oh no what if people think i'm not right you know taking care of my children properly i i have to mention a particular book because it it blows your mind it absolutely blows your mind it's called bud and me mm-hmm. and it's the story of these two boys they lived outside. Ages
1: 10 and 6, right? No. Oh,
0: well, yeah, actually, when the story started, they were even a little bit younger. Oh, my. Okay. Yeah, they, gosh, well, I think they were like seven and five, if I recall. Very, very young. And uh, they're, they lived outside of Oklahoma City mm-hmm. in the first decade of the 1900s. Mm-hmm. And their father was the U.S. Marshal for Western Oklahoma. Okay and they got this idea that they wanted to ride their horses to Santa Fe, New Mexico,
1: which is of course just a couple blocks away, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah.
0: And so this is this book was by the younger of the Abernathy brothers mm. as dictated to his wife Oh, so this is a true story. This is a true story. Oh, my word. To the degree you can believe the memory of a five-year-old, okay, right. six-, seven-year-old child. Sure. But it, it's told in enough detail that you think, wow, that that could have mm-hmm. really happened. But, mm-hmm. But their father, of course, you would think he would be concerned or worried, but he basically said, here's your horses and here's a checkbook in case you – need money along the way, and I'll meet you in Santa Fe at the governor's place. And so they took off and rode from Oklahoma City to Santa Fe, New Mexico, and had many adventures along the way. And um, Adventures,
1: that's a euf- euf- euphemistic term for trouble, danger, yeah,
0: storms, and accidentally sharing a house with cattle rustlers and Um, getting lost and then finding their way. And, of course, they had no GPS in those days. (laughs) There weren't a lot of roads. Wow. (laughs) And it just is kind of mind-blowing. And then the next year, uh, during the summer, uh, they wanted to ride their horses to New York. Oh, my word. And meet Teddy Roosevelt, who was also a friend of their father's. Of course. And so they did so. Uh, One of their horses, I think, was... Got a broken leg or was damaged. They had to buy a new horse halfway there and they finally got there. Their dad took a train, met them in New York. And then they bought two cars, sent the horses back by train and drove cars. So this is like a, an eight-year-old and a six-year-old driving a car. Their dad got a bigger car but it broke down so they had to help him. <laughs> <laughs> and they drove. And then the third year, they were now famous. Because mm-hmm. there were all, and so then there was a, a periodical that offered them a, a huge amount of money, mm-hmm. like $10,000 or something, if they could ride from the Atlantic to the Pacific Ocean in a certain number of days.
1: Right. Wow.
0: And so they undertook this. They didn't quite make it according to the schedule because they got very lost, I believe, somewhere around Salt Lake. Okay. Um, There's
1: a lot of mountains right around there. I could see yeah. getting
0: lost. But when you read the book, you, you first of all think, where was the mother, Mm -hmm. you know, a father, you could kind of see like, okay, go just, you know, have an adventure, sing or swim, Mm -hmm. you know, but what was the mom thinking? Mm -hmm. Um, and the second one you, you realize is there are just good people everywhere. And I have no reason to imagine that they didn't face, you know, some of the same possible disasters or worse. Mm -hmm. And yet they kept bumping into people who were supportive and enthusiastic and helpful. Mm-hmm. It's a fascinating story. I uh, I got the audio book mm-hmm. and uh, listened to it, and I thought this would just be a really dangerous book to read to your grandchildren.
1: Well, and that's what I was wondering. Do you <laughs> recommend this book as a read-aloud perhaps to some parents who want to instill a little bit of independence in their children? Or do you think this could be dangerous? Hey, Mom, see ya. I want to go visit Aunt Susie. She lives in Wisconsin.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. It's it's just a very interesting perspective on the difference, Mm -hmm. the perception of society and children and all that. But a third thing he talks about is the achievement trap or just the Mm. busyness of life that, you know, a lot of parents are very concerned that their children have every possible opportunity. So, you know, if they go to school, they spend – you know, a good chunk of time in school, but then, you know, each day of the week, there's you know some kind of supplemental thing. You know, Kumon, math tutoring, or ballet, or soccer, or mm-hmm. uh, scouts, or you know, and and so there's this tendency for kids to get overscheduled, mm-hmm. and uh, he points out that you you just if you do that, you you don't have the time to just be outside. Mm-hmm. I um, remember when we moved here, my youngest daughter was around nine or ten. Mm-hmm. Nine, I think she was nine, and uh, we we moved out into the country.
1: So you moved from the central coast of California to, to Eastern Oklahoma, Oklahoma to Oklahoma, yeah. where you can't go outside all day long because it's either way too hot or way too cold.
0: Yeah, not all the time. No, nope. but yeah, I mean, you get used to it too. Okay. I mean, you lived in Minnesota. It's, it's true. It's way too cold, but you still went out ice skating on the lake, <clears> the frozen lake. Yeah. Anyway, I just remember this moment where I was in the house having a conversation with another daughter and mm-hmm. another young man who she ultimately married, mm-hmm. and uh, my wife was somewhere else, and I was vaguely aware that my youngest daughter was not around. And it was starting to get dark. And so I, I kind of called for her and looked around the house and then I poked my head outside and I called her name and she answered. And I said, S- what are you doing? And she, she said, sitting on a mound. <gasps> well, there was a big mound of dirt from part of the garden making or construction or whatever. It was just this big, like maybe five, six foot high mound of dirt. And she had just climbed up there before it got dark and had just been sitting there Mm. as it was getting dark and, you know, thinking of all the things you would think about when you're completely unfettered by distraction. Mm. Another uh, incident, I remember this one, this one really kind of opened my mind. Uh, I had another daughter about the same age. I think she was probably 10 or so. And the house we were living in in California had kind of a, a big window in the back and then the garden. And then I had a converted shop that was kind of my office. So it was mid-morning, 10.30, maybe getting close to 11. And uh, I had been working for a while and I needed to go do some stuff. So I came in the house to change my clothes, whatever. I walked through the living room and there's my daughter staring out the back window, just sitting there doing nothing. Mm-hmm and i remember as i was walking through thinking she's doing nothing this is the middle of the morning on a homeschool weekday where is my wife why isn't she doing some school
2: mm-hmm.
0: i mean if you're doing nothing in the middle of the morning you kind of worry right right so i made a mental note you know find my wife check up and see why is she doing nothing here in the mid morning mm-hmm. And I think I took a shower, put on clothes, came back maybe 15 minutes later, and she was still just sitting in the same place, staring out the back window, doing nothing. So I stopped. I said, hey, what you up to? In my nicest dad voice. And she kind of looked over at me, and then she said, well, things are just kind of connecting up in my brain. Oh, Oh, interesting. And and I I thought, I have no response to that. Mm Mm-hmm. I probably said something like, wow, that's great, and walked away. But I remember thinking to myself, who am I Mm -hmm. to interfere with things kind of connecting up in her brain? Right. And yet what environment is necessary for that to happen? It's got to be this contemplative type of environment. And what better thing for contemplation is a connection with the natural world? Mm Mm-hmm whether it's you know sitting on a boat staring at the hills of the of the Catalina Island or sitting on a mound looking as dusk turns to night and the stars just start popping out or lying on a trampoline staring up at the clouds or just sitting looking out a window mm-hmm. at your backyard mm-hmm. and how many of us no longer really have either the freedom or in many cases the inclination right for that to happen,
1: you know, you see these idyllic scenes on maybe Instagram or Pinterest where people are sitting in a lounge chair and maybe you get a peek of their perfectly pedicured toes, right? And they're just staring out into the beach.
0: Yeah, that kind of thing doesn't come up on my Instagram. No, feed, but <laughs> I know I do, what you mean.
1: But I do wonder what are, what are they doing? I mean, I I know personally, even though I grew up in nature and we did camping and boating and all the gardening and the skating and all of the things, I still am very busy. And just the thought of that sounds idyllic. But I don't know how long I could just sit there and let things connect up.
0: Well, you know, it's kind of the topic for a, a different discussion. Mm-hmm. But there's so much research to show that for everyone, even including, you know, people in the second half of their life, like mm-hmm. you and me. Like you and me. Our attention span is fractured. We do not have the same ability to concentrate as we did 30 years ago. And for young people who've never grown up without the constant influx and visual hyperstimulation of screens. And and there's even, you know, this videophilia mm. translates to anxiety. Like mm. you take someone's phone away, mm-hmm. or you lose your phone for a short period of time, it causes an emotional, visceral, physiological, almost a panic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I've noticed, you know, sit down and read a book, even a good book, you know, that's engaging. It's like, Every few minutes, my mind goes mm-hmm. to somewhere. And do I need to check my phone? Did someone text me? You mm-hmm. know, is my next Words with Friends game ready to play? <laughs> you know, all this stupid stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's 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 essentially broken our ability to contemplate more deeply over long periods of time, whether that's in reading or study or mm-hmm. or anything. The uh, the third thing that he talks about is restrictions on children in nature. Mm. Certainly, these days, it would be completely impossible for two young boys to ride two horses from one major city to another yep. yes, or exactly. to legally drive a car. A- and that's just part of the growth of population and the mm-hmm. building of the infrastructure. But we do see uh, it's almost kind of been taken to an extreme. Louv talks about the, what he calls the treehouse syndrome, which is the criminalization of play in nature. So he cites as one example a family in Ohio that had built a treehouse, kind of a normal thing to do if you have a big enough tree and the skill to do it, in their front yard of their own house that they theoretically owned. And uh, they were ordered by the city to remove it. Can you guess why? Um, The HOA didn't allow it. Um close okay yeah the the area was not zoned for outbuildings,
1: oh wow,
0: okay, you know so you know what is that? I remember um where we live in California, we visited some friends who had a a newly built home in a newly built, very nice subdivision where they had gone to a lot of work to put in you know artificial streams and mm. larger sized trees and uh, landscaping in this common area, and the children who lived there were strictly forbidden to play in the stream. Oh, wow. Well, why? Because if you're a little boy and you see a stream, what are you going to do?
1: You are either going to try and float a boat down the stream or you're t- going to try and block it out. You you damn it. Yes, yes. You, you do. You damn
0: the stream. But the children couldn't. You see, they no. would be damned if they did damn and damned if they <laughs> couldn't. So so this idea and it even it has gone so far as to what i think most sensible people would think is kind of an extreme mm. the peta you know the group mm-hmm. people for ethical treatment of animals mm-hmm. which i have been told in alaska is actually people eating tasty animals but nevertheless uh they were you know there was an effort to try and eliminate the fishing merit badge mm. from the boy scouts of america mm-hmm. because fishing is you know, hurts the fish, mm-hmm. even if you throw the fish back, you know. And, and so you're just thinking that that's kind of got to an extreme because so many men, you know, grew up fishing. Mm-hmm. And what was it? Well, it was a chance to just look at the lake or be on the ocean. It was a chance to mm-hmm. have conversations with your uncle or your cousins or friends. It was a chance to chance your luck and maybe bring home some something that your mom would like to cook up and eat. And I remember spearfishing at Catalina Island as a kid and being so proud when I could get a fish and my mom would cook it up and we would eat it. So, you know, we kind of have to, you know, realize that if we want to find places where kids can be free, we're going to have to work a bit harder because there are so many more restrictions happening.
1: Right. Now, now I know you have a couple more. But... Well,
0: those, those are kind of the circumstances and causation. Oh, okay. Uh, the basic context for it. There's a lot more detail, of course, in Lou's book. Right. And then the second part would be to talk, you know, about some of the consequences oh. uh, of the nature deficit disorder. How okay. is that actually affecting us in more detail? And, and then talk about what are some solutions.
1: Okay. So next week then, consequences of These restrictions that have now been placed in our children and society, and some solutions of what we can do to make it better for them. Okay, till then. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudoua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.